Seeing Beyond Risk, a podcast series by the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. My name is Jill Harper, Vice Chair of Communications on the CIA's Research Council. In this episode, we'll be talking about a new research paper jointly published by the Canadian Institute of Actuaries and the Society of Actuaries in May 2020. This paper is another example of our efforts towards collaboration in research. If you're interested in learning more about collaboration and research, we have a Seeing Beyond Risk podcast that is all about this, so I'd encourage you to check that out. The study we'll be discussing today is called Real-Time Delphi Study of Four Economic Variables. You can find this paper, as well as all other CIA research papers, by visiting the website at www.cia-ica.ca, navigating to the Research tab at the top, then selecting Research Projects. This paper is also available for download from the Society of Actuaries website. To help us to dive into this paper a little bit more, we have two members from the project oversight group from this project on the phone today, Steve Eason and Max Rudolph. Steve is the VP and Chief Actuary at the Canadian Life and Health Insurance Association, and he's a very active volunteer with both the CIA and the SOA, having served on both boards of directors, and is the chair of the SOA Futurism section in 2002. Steve is a fellow of the CIA and the SOA, as well as a CFA, and he was the chair of the project oversight group for this research project. Max is an independent actuary in the US, focusing on enterprise risk management, consulting, and research. Max is another highly active volunteer. He helped to develop the Chartered Enterprise Risk Analyst credential. He chaired the ERM symposium and the investment section, served on the SOA Board of Governors, and has received both a presidential award and a top volunteer award. Max is a fellow of the Society of Actuaries, as well as a Chartered Enterprise Risk Analyst and a member of the American Academy of Actuaries. Welcome to both of you, and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jill. We're, uh, we're thrilled to advertise this project to the memberships. And, and thanks, Jill. I'm happy to be here. So let's talk about the project a little bit. What's the project all about, and what is the Delphi method? Well, thank you, Jill. The, um, so I'll start off by saying the, the project's primary objective was to demonstrate the use of future research methods, uh, notably the Delphi method, uh, to complement traditional actuarial forecasting techniques. I, I'd say the primary benefit of the Delphi method is it facilitates brainstorming of the identification of and, and assessment of plausible future outlier scenarios. Such outlier scenarios facilitate business continuity planning and associated potential adjustments to scenario and assumption setting. It's a dynamic tool to facilitate discussion among ideally multidisciplinary experts to produce plausible futures. Deterministic scenarios of what events could happen, their likelihood and their impact. A fan or wide dispersion of plausible futures. As examples, impacts of the current COVID-19 and identification of future, quote, COVID events and their impact. An exact science? Uh, certainly not. A useful forecasting tool? Definitely. Uh, now, the Delphi def method goes back to the 1960s. It's a technique to collect expert judgment from small groups of experts using sequential questionnaires, each building on the results of a prior questionnaire. The questionnaire uh, questioning sequence is designed to elicit uh, reasons for outlier positions which when fed back to the group tends to move the group average towards stability of results or consensus. The essential elements of the Delphi study are one, the need for uh, expert participants, 
since panel sizes are generally small. Two, anonymity of participants to avoid some biases. Three, feedback of group opinion. The original Delphi studies were um, manually laborious with discrete rounds of questionnaires. Now, now more recently, real-time Delphi software was developed. It is an efficient online system that does not employ sequential rounds, but rather displays group responses to all participants immediately after they are generated. It differs from classic online surveys by providing real-time group feedback as the questionnaire is being completed so that participants can learn from the group as the study progresses. Interesting. So how has our profession's engagement with the Delphi method evolved over time? Well, when I was chair of the then futurism section of the SOA back in 2002, now subsequently this section was renamed to its current predictive analytics and futurism section. Uh, the section was, was really lagging momentum. And um, I, at the time I saw the solution was application, 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 a la the real estate mantra of uh, location, location, location. The inaugural Delphi study method was completed in 2005. And I'd say this, uh, this study was really the trailblazer for other uh, successful Delphi studies done by the SOA since 2005. Uh, this particular study is a repeat of this inaugural study, but it is much improved, uh, for example, the use of the real-time Delphi method. So focusing in a little bit on this particular study, can you give us a 30-second elevator speech description of the, this Delphi study? Yeah, thanks, Jill. The, the study completed uh, the real-time Delphi round one uh, in July of last year, of 2019, and, and finished round two in, in January of this year. Of course, that's prior to the onslaught of, of COVID-19, so that's important to, to keep in mind. Uh, it focused on forecasting uh, three different time horizons, two, five, and 10-year forecasts for four different U.S. economic variables. The, the first one was consumer price index, or CPI, the, the annual change in, in that index. Uh, the second was the 10-year Treasury spot yields, third being the, the Standard & Poor's S&P 500 total rates of return, and then the fourth and, and last was corporate BAA spot yields. Um, and it's important to think about it, but the, the focus was on process. Uh, and, and really what we're trying to do is utilize this as a teaching tool so that companies and organizations can, can take what we've done here and using their own uh, questions uh, implemented in, in, in their uh, environment. So there's four different types of models that were used. Uh, in addition to the real-time Delphi that, that Steve mentioned, uh, a second futures research method uh, that was pioneered prior to our study by, by the futurists who performed the research for us, and it's called Trend Impact Analysis, TIA, uh, was used, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, modeling techniques more familiar to actuaries like curve fitting and Monte Carlo simulations were, were also used. The comments provided by the, the 30 participants in the, in the first round to defend their forecasts uh, used to develop potential tail scenarios for the second round. Uh, that was really the most interesting to me and, and worth taking the time to read. So for any, anyone listening here that pulls up the report, I think that's, that's definitely worth a, a few minutes of your time. So it includes not only the what, but also the why of the responses. Interesting. So let's get into some details. Can you give a little bit more detail on how you designed this study? 
Uh, yes. So, uh, so in essence, the study used um, uh, versions of the real-time Delphi software in two steps. The first step, uh, which, which we named RTD1, was designed to obtain direct estimates of the future values of these four economic variables that Max alluded to and to learn about the thought processes behind the forecast. It collected uh, judgments from a small group of experts, around 30, uh, principally actuaries and futurists. Now, the, the um, experts were asked for their high, most likely, and low estimates of values of the four economic variables at the three future time periods, uh, again, two years, five years, and 10 years hence, and really importantly for the rationales for their, uh, their answers. Participants were also asked to state what values they thought would be considered catastrophic, meaning an improbable downside expectation with a one or 200 chance of occurrence. Now, we did debate that one in 200 year uh, criteria quite a bit at the uh, project oversight group. So one in 200 year chance of occurrence at the end of the 10 year period and, and for their estimates of also mean reversion, re mean reversion time of the four variables. Participants uh, were also, also provided suggestions for future shaping developments as input into the second step. So in summary, uh, the, the end product of the first step, RTD1, was the use of curve fitting techniques and the expert input from the RTD1 to produce forecasts of plausible future values of the four economic variables extra as extrapolations of their historical value. Now, the second step, which we named um, RTD2, asked participants for their judgments about future external developments, economic, political, technological, or social, that could swing the results in RTD1. For each of these future developments, participants were asked for probabilities of occurrence any time before the year 2030, their year of maximum impact in that span up to the year 2030, and how much impact the future development would have on each of the variables in that year of maximum impact. The method for combining the expert judgments about these probabilities and impacts of future developments was, as, as we explained before, the trend impact analysis or TIA. So the TIA is a future research forecasting method that uh, permits extrapolations of historical trends produced by curve fitting or other means, which is the baseline projections, to be modified in view of, of the expectations of future external elements. So the steps in the TIA are one, producing a baseline extrapolation, two, producing a list of developments to be included in the analysis, three, estimating the probability of occurrence for each development and its potential impact on the variable, and then four, using a Monte Carlo process, producing a series of uh, mini scenarios in which the developments are randomly decided and the economic variable adjusted accordingly. So the end product of RTD2 was the use of Monte Carlo simulations and the trend impact analysis software to reforecast values of the four variables that are affected by the 28 future possible developments. Thank you. And shifting gears a little bit, can you tell me a little bit about the key findings in the study? Sure, I, I can do that. Uh, keep in mind that the, the primary objective of the research project was to demonstrate tax choice how to use future research methods. But the, um, and so the, the quantitative and qualitative results were, were interesting, but, but still considered secondary. Um, having said that, here are, are seven key findings and, and they're in no specific order. Uh, so the first one, the range of expectations was really wide, but generally reflected an inflationary future 
uh, largely determined by uncertain politics, uh, disasters that were both man-made and natural, and, and then of course uh, chance. Uh, under the and the second one under real-time Delphi one or what I tend to refer to as round one, the baseline forecasts were compared to to actual 2019 values. So they were higher for three of the four for CPI, the 10-year Treasuries, and the um, BAA corporate yields. Uh, when you're looking out 10 years. And so that, that was what the group of participants projected or forecast. The S&P 500 yield of 7% 10 years out is a little bit below historical results, but still in that, in that ballpark. The third one, during, during round one, participants identified 90 potential future developments. Uh, and and that was, that's the part that I said earlier is just fascinating to read all those future developments that are that are possible because everyone thinks about that a little bit differently uh, and from this we we chose 28 for the participants to forecast their probability of occurrence the impact and then the year of maximum impact uh, during round two so then getting into some of the results from that in in bullet four uh, the three most likely future developments in the next 10 years uh, were and and remember, I mean, this was completed prior to the pandemic, and that would would change all the results. But number one was that the uh, incumbent loses re-election in 2020. U.S. policies revert to the former era. Second one, there is rapid growth of the use of robotics and artificial intelligence in major economies worldwide, uh, and machines take over one third of today's jobs. And the third one was climate change initiatives uh, proved to be ineffective. Food prices increased so much that there is food insecurity for one third of Americans. So the three least likely future developments were that space travel becomes economical for 10% of US citizens. Uh, second one, that the US defaults on its debt or pegs the US dollar to gold at a $10,000 level. And, and that one, in particular, out of all the ones that we voted on, I think I would maybe take the over on that one today where uh, it came in very low uh, a year ago. And then the, the third one in our voting was the U.S. taxation increased to a level that balances the budget. And, and that one seems pretty unlikely. So I think I would still vote for that one where it is here. Our next key finding, the development judged to increase the uh, CPI, 10-year treasury, spot yields and the corporate BAA yields the most was all the same. It was that the U.S. stabilizes its debt by monetizing all future deficits. So essentially modern monetary theory or MMT. The last one, the development judged to increase the S&P 500 rate of return the most was that tariff and trade wars are resolved. So that one makes a lot of sense. So I've already gone on for a while here. Uh, you'll have to read the report for the development judge to decrease each of the variables, but those are, are just as interesting. Thank you, Max. And did you encounter anything that surprised you in the study? Yeah, we were, we were surprised that we were not able to further reduce the elapsed time for this study. It still took quite a while relative to the inaugural one we did in uh, 2005. Uh, we went in with, with high hopes and uh, you know, one thing always leads to another and it takes longer than you think it will. But I think that, that companies internally will be able to, to complete their, their internal uses of these future research methods on a, on a much faster timescale. They, they won't be using volunteers and 
you know, we won't be, you won't be all spread out uh, around the world. Not surprisingly, the breadth of insightful suggestions for future developments from the study's participants was outstanding. Uh, not surprisingly either, uh, a group used to doing scenario testing chose a pandemic scenario last fall for participants to consider in round two, and specifically development 25, remember we had 28 that we moved on to the, the second round. It states that pandemic kills 1% of the world population, noting that the 1918 Spanish flu is estimated to have killed between 50 and 100 million people worldwide. However, participants underestimated its probability of occurrence, saying 12.5% uh, that it was one in eight uh, was the likelihood of it occurring, and essentially saying that the year of maximum impact was at the farthest point out in the survey. So uh, we didn't quite get it right, and that'll help us to maintain our humility, I guess, from the survey. As an aside, I'll note that you know these studies can be really used to, to add value. Uh, in 2009, I participated in a Delphi study tied to Jim Tool's pandemic research projects. And I was surprised when I went back uh, recently to, to see what I had said at, at how much I actually got right on the economic impact uh, of a pandemic. These Delphi studies can have real value if they're utilized as a strategic planning tool. And I, I think that's, that's another key takeaway is that we have now some experience where companies and individuals have, have used this process to really add value. And I think that's important. Yeah, they seem like a powerful tool. So some of our listeners might be interested in learning more. How can our listeners learn more about the use of futures research method? Yeah, so uh, in general, if you're not already a member, I encourage you to join the predictive analytics and futurism section of the SOA. For this uh, particular uh, study, of course, in addition to reading the study's report, which as we uh, spoke about before, is available on both the CIA and SOA websites, the study's future research tools are available um, upon request from the CIA and also from the SOA. At the CIA, I would encourage you to contact um, Shalomit Jacobson at head office. She'll supply you with two documents. The first, the Word document containing um, sources for each of the four tools used. Again, as a reminder, real-time Delphi, trend impact analysis, curve finning, and Monte Carlo simulations, and the actual TIA Excel software. But um, I, I would point out, however, if you wish to replicate this particular study within your own company, you would need to contact our researcher, uh, Mr. Ted Gordon, who is a very highly established and respected futurist. His work goes back to the 1960s at the RAND Corporation. And as part of the information that Sloman gives you, she will give you um, Ted's uh, contact. In addition, I've, I've written a couple of articles on this project. Uh, one was posted on the CI COVID Hub section of the CI website. And the second article will appear in an upcoming edition of the newsletter of the SOA's Predictive Analytics and Futures section. Fabulous. Well, thank you, Steve and Max, for joining us and for sharing your insights with us. Well, thank you very much, Jill, for coordinating this, this podcast. And I, I guess I'd put in a pitch. You know, I've been aware of these future research methods for many, many years. I think they're extremely useful. It certainly facilitates you uh, thinking out of the box. And if you have listened to this webcast, I hope you can find the time to educate yourself more about them and also get the word out to your colleagues. 
Yeah, and I'll thank you too, Jill. Um, I'm involved in a, another joint project with the uh, CIA, SOA, and CAS is involved in that one as well on the uh, survey of emerging risks. So hopefully we can get together for another podcast uh, later on to, to talk about the results of that survey. Absolutely. So as we mentioned, if you want to learn more about this study or any other CIA research project, you can do so by visiting the website www.cia-ica.ca, selecting the Research tab at the top, then choosing Research Projects. Within the Research tab on the website, you can also find a link to share your research ideas, which you can use if you have any ideas or comments that you wish to share about CIA research. This is feedback that we really appreciate, so please don't hesitate if you have anything to add. My name is Jill Harper, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Seeing Beyond Risk. <music>